Okay, welcome to the Garage Band Dads podcast. I'm your co-host Andrew, and I'm a six-foot-tall George Costanza. I'm Blake. I'm the white Michael Pena. So welcome to our show. Um, we so Blake, I've decided that 2021 is going to be the make-or-break year for Garage Band Dads. Oh. So we've been kind of stumbling irregularly through a podcast for two years, but I am now 100% committed to bi-weekly episodes this year. No okay. matter no matter what whether it's me and you me and tim you and tim whoever it is there's an episode solo a quartet whatever it is there's going to be an episode every two weeks and i like it consistency you know in all yeah. things i think consistency is the most important indicator factor for success so so, so if I'm, we, I'm with you if we hit 500 downloads by the end of the year then i will keep going into 2022 500 downloads an episode by the end of the year then we'll keep going if not i think i might just say this was a fun experience sure (laughs) so there we go guys cool call your friends yeah call your friends and tell them if you want to download it if you want to keep this going yeah just tell them download it so the theme for the Uh, year is movies and music that are turning 20 in the year 2021 okay okay so every two weeks i'm gonna alternate an album and a movie that turns 20 this year. And there are a crap ton of movies that turn 20 in the year 2021. Lord of the Rings started, Harry Potter started, Fast and the Furious started, Ocean's Eleven started. No way. All of them 2001. No way. That's nuts, man. Yes. So, and then in terms of music, there's a lot of good stuff that kicked out in the early 2000s as well. That's turning 20 this year. Um, Weezer came back with their green album. White Stripes with White Blood Cells. Um, Nickelback took off. Yes. Um, and our theor- theme for today is uh, Linkin Park Hybrid Theory. That one technically came out in 2000, but it was the top-selling album of 2001. Oh, interesting. So it came out at the end of 2020. Okay. Or, sorry, at the end of 2000. So it ended up becoming the top-selling <clears throat> album of 2001. So that's why I included it in the list. Sure hybrid theory man yeah so it actually sold more albums or sorry it was the highest debut album of all time and before that it was guns and roses appetite of destruction no way yeah so it is still the top selling debut album of all time and uh it is the top selling rock album of the 20th century but what? It, yes it is, is. That real it really is but i mean the 20th century is only 20 years old so i mean and rock and roll has kind of been dying over the last 20 years. So it has for sure. I don't know how much of an accomplishment it is to be the top rock album of the 20th century, but it is. Well, it's something. And it makes sense as well that it's going to be at the earlier stages of the 20th century. Because like you say, right, rocks, I think it's progressively dying. Disappeared. It's basically right? like Nickelback copies or heavy metal. And that's all that's left of rock and roll. Yeah, that's true, right? Like yeah. who's who's doing rock anymore? And Foo now? Fighters and Foo Fighters. They're still going, but they're kind of like Foo Fighters are an anomaly, I think. <clears throat> yeah. They're they're kind of just this band that like when we were naming Emma, I did a bunch of research on names. Right. My first kid. Yeah. And and I um so what do they call them? Fad names. When like okay, like Barbara. Yeah. You know, Barbara to me is like an old mom's name. Yeah. Because in the 50s or whatever, um, all these – Barbara was a very popular name. Tons of girls got named Barbara. And then it just, like, died out. And so when we were growing up, the only people named Barb 
are like old ladies that work at the school yeah. reception desk. Yeah. You know, whereas a name like Elizabeth has always been popular. And so if you look at the trends, Barb is like a huge curve. Yeah. You know, I've had a big spike and then it like dropped. Whereas Elizabeth is always like kind of there. Anyways, this is a long explanation. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Foo Fighters are Elizabeth. They're just this like this like steady heartbeat in rock and roll and music. Yeah. yeah. It just is always this the the baseline and then other bands will rise and fall and the Foo Fighters will just be there forever. Yes, yeah. So they'll be like the last rock band, but that as far as rock and roll goes, like that's basic Foo Fighters, yeah. Nickelback Soundalikes and Heavy Metal and that's all you got left. So funny. Yeah. What about like Muse? Are they still playing music? If you have to ask the question, yeah. I think you know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true, man. All I hear about now is is like pop or uh, or some kind of mix of like pop rap, yeah, hip hop sort of thing. Right. It's all shifted. <clears throat> Interesting. So, so okay, yeah. Anyways, okay. So hybrid theory. theory. Yeah. So this album is basically like the white man singing about white problems. <laughs> right yeah. and uh and i think that's why it became so popular okay. and we'll get into that a little bit more but like they were a rap rock band right they were in that new metal thing but what you had in new metal yeah. before was either had rage against the machine which was not white and not singing about white problems or you had limp biscuit which was white guys pretending to sing about black problems <laughs> but you never had like white people talking about white problems okay and Linkin Park is white people or basically white people singing about white people problems. <laughs> and at the start of the 2000s, white people had a bunch of problems. Uh-huh. And we'll get into that later in the episode. Anyway, so they started out, they were this rap rock band called Zero. And it was just Mike Shinoda, uh, the rap, quote unquote, rapper, uh, Rob Borden, their drummer, and Brad Delson, their guitarist. Okay, the guy with the right. headphones. The headphones. Yeah. So that was how they started out. And they're making like this really, really heavy, angry music, but none of them can like sing or put words to the music. Sure. So they start auditioning for singers. And what they do is they send out a demo tape and then they ask prospective vocalists to add their own vocal tracks to their demo and lyrics. Cool. Okay. Great and then idea. send it back and we'll see what we like. And so Chester Bennington they said was their missing piece. He was the most talented of everybody who responded. So then they come up with the name Hybrid Theory. That was originally the name of the band. And it was from their hybridization of rap, rock, hip hop, plus music theory. (laughs) Hybrid theory. (laughs) Music, because we're musical guys. Yeah, we're musicians. First and foremost, we're classically trained. Yeah, so that was the name of the band, and then they got sued by, like, this Welsh, like, disco band or something like that that was just called Hybrid. And wow. so they named themselves Linkin Park because the, um, the the website U- URL was available, and they wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? That's fair. I mean, I've, I've thought about um, starting a couple businesses, you know, looking for, like, business names. Right. Or uh, or band names and like 
what's available on on Google is yeah. just not really a I'll go bad to go, to go right? yeah what's on GoDaddy that I can find for sure I've definitely and, done that like when I went to Mount Royal I think I took a picture of this because they've got a business park and it's called the Lincoln Park Campus oh yeah and I would park there and walk to the walk to Mount Royal it, they spelled Lincoln properly but right anyway, I was like oh Lincoln Park I wonder if they came here and that's where they got the name from. <laughs> <laughs> then I found that like Lincoln Park is like a pretty common name for business parks a, like around the world. I, like I think it's a, an actual park. That yeah, for like, probably for the New Lincoln York, Monument or something. or something. Yeah, for sure. So they uh, they record hy- the hybrid theory demos with Chester Bennington, and they send it to all the major independent, all the major labels, and all the independent record labels in Los Angeles. They end up performing for forty different label executives. Holy cow! And they don't get signed. Jeez, but then this guy Jeff Blue, who was like a he was an agent and he was a lawyer. Brad Delson actually interned for him, um, okay. and Jeff Blue gets a job at Warner Brothers, and he repeatedly pesters everyone to sign Lincoln Park, and that's the only reason why they got signed. Wow! So nobody was interested. Then they get signed. Then it's the top selling album of the next year. Unreal. So it's just this weird diamond in the rough. So, like I was talking about earlier, commercial performance, they released it at the end of 2000, uh, but it goes on to be the highest selling album of 2001, selling over 4 million copies in 2001 alone. Peaked at Billboard position number two, uh, sorry, peaked at number two on the Billboard 200, and ends up getting certified 12 times pa- platinum in the US and sells over 30 million copies worldwide. Jeez. Is there something to be said or like uh, about, um, I don't know, record? execs making just dumb choices oh for that's why that's why your band never got signed absolutely like it wasn't because we were awesome (laughs) just nobody got it right (laughs) but like is i i don't know that's just so because i guess their job really is just to make money at the end and they're probably going to go for the the sure bet yeah the sure bet they're not taking risks and movies are going that way too and it sucks I think like when you when you work in a bigger company or even any company that starts getting like layered management, it's almost impossible sometimes yeah. for the guys on the front line to make the guys at the top of the food chain really understand what's happening. Yeah. And so I just say with bigger record labels, it's like you're it's like, hey, like these guys are onto something. It's like, no, 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 no. I've got twenty five people telling me music trends are going in the exact opposite direction. Yeah, and these guys can't decide if they're rap or metal or rock yeah. or like what. Like that's yeah. insane. What are you stupid? And I yeah, exactly. Like we've already corn is going the way of the dodo, limp biscuits going the way of the dodo. People aren't interested in rage against the machine anymore. This is a dying trend we're not interested, yeah. right? Yeah. So the critics, what did the critics say about this? I mean it was a mixed um, but I'd say generally like positive. The things that were uniformly universally praised was the contrast in vocals between Chester Bennington and Mike Shinoda's rapping. Sure. So they liked that. Um, so Jam Magazine said they mined the best of both hip hop and heavy metal, fusing the elements in a clever way that suggests a love for music that goes far beyond fashion. So I'm not like a huge Linkin Park fan. Like, are you a huge Linkin Park fan? Uh, you know, I, I haven't really followed them since probably since hybrid theory. Right. But I did like, I mean, I've really liked most of their singles. Right. And so they I'm, do, 
So I wouldn't say a huge Linkin Park fan, but I definitely have a few songs in there that I really, really like. Like, one, yeah, I'm not crazy about them either, but one thing I'll say, like when they say their elements, they fuse elements in a clever way that suggests love for music that goes far beyond fashion, I'd say yes. These yeah. weren't like a gimmicky band. These were, I'll give them a shout out for authenticity and kind of their genuine kind of this is who we are. Yeah kind of thing but on the other hand like um rolling stone said uh they criticized their corny boilerplate aggro lyrics <laughs> so like when i heard the term boilerplate i thought they're talking about like overly intense because i'm thinking of like a boiler no they're talking about like you're stamping like copy things, right? paste yeah copy yeah, paste it's lyrics like, hey i'm a i'm a early 20s like teenage boy angsty i'm angry and angry I'm really at the angry. world Everybody sucks. Yeah. Totally. So that's what they're saying about the lyrics. And I'd say, uh, you know, on the other hand, they're they're like good, not great. Um, the song Crawling would go on to win a Grammy for best rock performance. So when you hear that term rock performance, like Grammy for rock performance, like what do you think they're winning an award for? That makes me think that they played the song live at like the VMAs or something and did a really good job. That's not what it means. <laughs> what does it it's, mean? It's just, it's a weird way of saying they got it's like best record or recording or album that's what wins it but they so it's like best rock performance on an album oh, <laughs> that, like anyway okay. so so it got the best you know rock track of the year for sure. crawling and i it's been hybrid theory's been included in several lists of the best rock albums and it made it to the 2006 list of 1001 albums to listen to before you you die sure um, but going back to the lyrics Rolling Stone's uh, criticism of the corny boilerplate aggro lyrics. Like, if we can just take some pot shots at the lyrics here, like in the end. What's, like, my first memory of Linkin Park is I'm walking through, I'm walking to 7-Eleven with my friend, and there's yeah. this guy, and he's got a Chester Bennington look. Okay. It may have been Chester Bennington. I don't uh, know. Likely. <laughs> I'd say the chances. But he's got, like, he's shaved his head and he's wearing the same kind of glasses and kind of dressed the same as, as mm -hmm. how he did. And he's just, like, singing in the end at the top of his lungs. And it's not, like, <laughs> it's not a teenage kid. It is a full-grown man. And he's awesome. just saying, and he's walking on the other side of the street, walking the opposite way of what we are. And we're kind of looking at him like, what the? And he's <laughs> just, I tried so hard. And we're like, who is this guy? Is like, he's he's here? not a weird kid. He's a full grown man. <laughs> like, maybe is it Linkin Park cover band? I don't know. Like, that's one of my first memories of Linkin Park. That's amazing. This guy singing the end. That is great. So he sings, he's. <laughs> Like the lyrics for in the end, I tried so hard, it got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. I had to fall to lose it all, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. And like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta side with Rolling Stone, I think on this one. <laughs> right? Yeah, because they really are. They're just like angsty, <laughs> angry words, and they're really just rhymes to make the song fill up. Exactly. You know, compared like, to, and I'm not a lyrics guy. Yeah. Right. Like I, I know some of the lyrics, but a lot of the time I just know what they sound like. I don't know what they're actually saying. I just kind of know the vowels. Yeah. And, and I don't really pay attention to what they're actually singing about. But when we went through the decline. Yeah. I'm like, and actually I got into the lyrics on that. It's like, wow, that's, that's legit. Fat Mike is a good lyricist. Yes. Right. You like know? there are, yeah, 
he, yeah, he's got some good good lyrics in there. So There's, by comparison, the, yeah, like these. This is not Bob Dylan. Like uni, like high school students are not going to be reading this. In, <laughs> yeah, no, right? no, one's, no one's writing papers on Linkin yeah. Park lyrics. Like one step closer. Was that the first Linkin Park song you heard? Yeah, man, that riff. I remember it was in um, uh, my buddy. I think his name was Matthew. He was this tall, lanky kid. Yeah. Um, that I played guitar with. Yeah. Shoot, I can't remember the guy's name now. But I remember I was at his house and the music video came on. And that even just that very first riff. Bum 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 And when it breaks down, man, I was like, this is wicked. So that was the first Linkin Park song. Like that was for sure. That was the first one I heard as well. And similar thing is like, this is amazing. But like the thing that's etched into my memory is the guy, the Chester Bennington impersonator walking the streets of Calgary singing in the end at the top of his lungs. But like the lyrics (laughs) in One Step Closer, I cannot take this anymore. I'm saying everything I've said before. All these words, they make no sense. I find bliss in ignorance. Less I hear, the less you'll say. You'll find that out anyway. Everything you say to me takes me one step closer to the edge and I'm about to break. Like this, I probably wrote a song like this in a poetry assignment in junior high. Right. That's... It's funny to me too how like how many um older guys I mean they were probably pretty young when that record came out. Yeah. Early twenties, like yeah, yeah. something like that. Um but still I feel like in my early twenties I was kinda getting over that phase. Yes. Right? I, like probably I heard this song came out when I was in grade eight and I was like, This is exactly how I feel and then <laughs> right. like right. halfway through grade eight I was like, nah, I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little old for later, this. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, I'm over that. <laughs> yeah. And these guys are like 23. Yeah. And writing lyrics for 14 year olds. It's a bit, <laughs> it's a little weird. You know who's the worst at that is Blink 182. Yeah. Like 45 oh, year old dudes still writing yeah. songs for high school kids. Yeah. And it's starting to get weird. It's like, Mark. yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Starting to be a little strange. Like we thought. Tom DeLonge believing he was abducted by aliens was the weirdest part of Blink-182. And now <laughs> it's, it's like it's a 44-year-old guy singing about going on dates in high school is getting a little... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's much. <clears throat> Speaking of... Like, one other album I've got for this year is uh, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Just a little oh, teaser there. That one also came out in 2001. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I got, so, I got good memories on that one. Too. That one. Yeah. So that'll be a good episode. Um but I guess so going back to Lincoln Park, like the thing about their lyrics though, simple words, simple phrases, simple yeah. rhymes. And I like sorry, like that is one thing it just sticks in people's heads, right? Absolutely. And, and nobody has to decipher the message. Yeah, you don't need an it's there's nothing secret going on there. It's just like really good riffs, really good melodies. And Chester's vocal quality, I love Chester's scream. Oh, yeah, yeah. His scream is so high and just, like, raw. Yes. It is awesome. So he, that, like, he's definitely, he's been on a list of, like, top rock vocalists of all time, right? Yeah, I get it. Because he has a good voice, too. He can sing well. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he's a, some kind of tenor, I don't know. He's got a pretty high, high range. Yeah. And then that scream is just, like, gnarly. Yeah, oh, and, yeah. And from a punk singer, you know... I was I always admired those like really gravelly screamy voices. Yeah, and his his was one of the ones that I really really liked. For sure, like I'd I'd agree a hundred percent. But I'd say like with these simple lyrics and simple rhymes, and really like the guitar riffs aren't 
complex, right? No. And I was reading an interview with like uh, with uh, the drummer, and mm-hmm. and they're talking about like one of the songs on one of their more recent albums, and he's like, "Yeah, it was like really hard." And I'm listening to it, and it's kind of, it's just, it sounds like it's in six eight time or three four time <laughs> instead of four four time. Okay. And and maybe slightly more syncopated than typical rock music, and I'm like, this isn't hard. Not like crazy. emo bands do this all the time. Right. All the time. Right. Right. And and this is like the first time you've just done something that's not four four, <laughs> and this is like really complex dr- drum tracks for you, right? Um. So it makes me wonder, like, because this. They are so basic. Like, what makes these guys so damn successful? Mm-hmm. And I think they were at the right place at the right time. And to kind of explain that, first we've got to get into how just average, upper-middle-class the band was before they met Chester. Because I think their background kind of... That's how they connected with a white, upper-middle-class, broad-appeal, all-over-America kind of audience. Okay. So your core three, like Brad Delson, the guy with the headphones, like they're from uh, they're from this suburb of Los Angeles with a median income of like a hundred grand, right? Okay. So they're from a rich suburb. They yeah. all go to a rich high school, and I mean he's a rock star who's worried about hearing loss. Like that's why he wears noise canceling headphones. Oh. And you're like, yeah, that kind of just points to your background that you're like, I'm starting a rock band, but guys, like we can't play too loud. <laughs> Because right. I've got like I want to be able to hear when I'm seventy. It's like right. my yeah. mom. My mom told me that our music might get a little too loud, and I need to look after my hearing. So <laughs> I'm gonna wear earplugs, guys. <laughs> Super rock and roll. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, this guy rocks hard, right? This guy's insane. Yeah. Next is like, I can't have more than two beers, guys, or I'm just gonna. <laughs> I am gonna be hung over tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so um, he went to. UCLA on a full scholarship, okay. uh, did like communications or English or something like that, graduated summa cum laude wow. and put off law school to start the band. Like that's wow. not your typical grungy, angry rock band story, right? No. You know, I was going to go to law school. <laughs> I graduated UCLA on scholarship, but then this band I was working on really took off. That's the other, uh, uh, the Dexter story though. Dexter, what's his face? uh from uh from offspring yeah yeah i did a master's in bioscience or whatever right and yeah and yeah. his his professor was like you're nuts you're yeah. getting this to go on play with your band <laughs> you idiot like, i gotta do it yeah and then they had what the best-selling independent record of all time yeah yeah exactly <clears throat> interesting so, then you have so, oh sorry yeah. go ahead no no go ahead so next guy you have is mike shinoda who's Japanese American, but he's raised as a liberal Protestant, so he's basically white. Yep, <laughs> basically a white guy. Japanese by blood only. <laughs> yeah, and like takes classical piano lessons starting at age six. Okay, goes to Art Center College, and he gets a bachelor's in graphic design. So you hear Art Center College, and it just makes me think of like City Center College from Community, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> so he we went to like some rinky-dink college. But then I looked at their alumni. Their alumni are Michael Bay. Zack Snyder, wow. Ro- Roger Avery, who was a co-writer on Pulp Fiction, Ralph McCary, who's a production designer for Star Wars, Don Burgess, cinematographer on Forrest Gump, Ryan Church, concept designer for the Star Wars prequels, Bob Peake, who designed and pioneered the modern movie poster. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. And then, like, executives of design for motor companies like BMW, Ducati, Volvo, and GM. 
So this is like a legit art college. Yes, it's not like going to community college. No, he went is... to. I would say, like, just looking at the alumni, I would guess it's a more premier art college in California. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, so Rob Borden, the drummer, is from Calabasas, California, which is a richer suburb than Agora Hills, which is where the other two grew up. Okay. He didn't go to college, but Linkin Park got signed when he was 20, and his mom was friends with the drummer, Joey Kramer, from Aerosmith. And when he's like eight, oh. he goes backstage to their concert, and Joey Kramer gives him a kick pedal and drumsticks. And he decides that he's going to be a rock drummer. So, like, all these guys are pretty privileged. Yeah. They're not, like, just a grungy rock band growing up on the mean streets. Like, they they all had opportunities beyond this band. Absolutely. Right? Which is why their lyrics are so shallow, I well, imagine. Well, Chester's actually... So, we'll get into Chester, but I'd say... what They're looking for a lead singer because they're playing this really, really angry music because it sounds cool, but they have nothing to be angry about. Right. So they've got no tortured artist to write lyrics because it's like, well, I put off law school <laughs> to start this band. <laughs> My mom right. was friends with Aerosmith. <laughs> those lyrics, yeah. I those... went to I went to movie star college. <laughs> like Hard, harder to put those lyrics into a good song. Yeah, it's like, oh, the agonizing decision of how rich I wanted to be. <laughs> Which law school should I choose? <laughs> yeah, like really, really hard. So Chester Bennington, uh he grew up in Arizona. His dad was a police detective and his mom was a nurse. His parents get divorced at age 11. He's sexually abused by an older kid from the age of 6 to 13. Jeez. Starts abusing drugs and alcohol as a way to cope and starts writing poetry as a way to cope. So, so here's our guy. Here's the guy. That's why I think that's why he's the missing piece. Is they're like yeah. These three guys are like, well, we make this really angry music, but none of us are angry about anything. Yeah. There's no real I don't know. I don't know how to put words to this because I'm trying to choose between law schools and it's, right. it's not like a hard decision. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think like, if you look at what's happening to white middle-class kids in the nineties, you got to go back to the seventies, which is when California passes no fault divorce. So before this, you needed to file a civil action with cause to get divorced. So you had to prove that your spouse was abusive or had committed adultery or fraud or something like that. So by their nature, divorces were ugly. Yeah. Like it had to be, it was an ugly final step to end a relationship. Sure. You had to really get combative. Yeah. And so other states follow suit and no fault divorce becomes universal by the mid eighties. So divorce rates increase year over year and hit a crescendo in the nineties. Sure. When, right. When the, this music's coming are... up. Well, Come, Chester's parents are 11. Or, I mean, Chester's 11. When his parents, his parents get got divorced. divorced. Yeah. It's like, yeah, perfect timing. And uh, and I'm going to assume that the divorce was messy because, I mean, there's a Globe and Mail survey. It said 71% of respondents reported that their parents' divorce was messy. And messy being like fighting, name-calling, gossiping, custody battles, you know, those kinds of things. Sure. And I, I remember junior high, I had a group of, uh, me, me and my guy friends, we hung out with like this group of eight girls and four of them, their parents were either going through a messy divorce or had just completed a messy divorce. Like 50% of marriages were ending in an ugly divorce kind of thing in the mid nineties. So Chester gets up and starts singing about how angry and frustrated he is with divorce and drug abuse and anxiety. And there's all these kids who are also going through messy divorces 
and are struggling with substance abuse and anxiety. And I'd say these are like white middle class problems, right? Yeah. It's not like, oh, you know, my mom was shooting up heroin and a black, you know, cops killed my dad for at a <laughs> right. traffic stop, right? Right. <laughs> um, I didn't grow up as a gangbanger. It's like, what do white kids deal with? Uh, my parents got divorced and they were fighting and it was ugly. And I'm not trying to minimize the problem. I'm just saying in that that world of rap rock, it was, you know, and rap, it was dominated by your, your African-American urban issues, which... I'd say white people can't relate to. Yeah. But then you've got this rap rock band where they're singing about issues that white people can relate to. And it's what all white kids are going through at that Interesting. time. Sure. So um, along with like his lyrics, lyrics were simple. They're easy to remember and they're easy to sing along to. And uh, yes, I mean, absolutely. After, after Chester committed suicide, the Guardian wrote this article. One thing they said was his cleanly articulated tales of emotional struggle gave millions a sense that somebody understood them and the huge sound of his band around him magnified that sense. Moving listeners from the psychic space of their bedrooms into an arena, arena of thousands of people who shared their pain. Hmm. And that goes back to what we talked about in Swedish Music Invasion, Episode 3. Melodic and lyrical complexity don't matter when you're trying to sell albums. It's about conveying a feeling. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, 100%. Especially when you're going for... Um, I think the, the subset of people that really appreciate the musical complexity and lyrics and that kind of stuff is a much smaller group. So you can get there, but now we're talking about like different... Like these newer metal bands that are uh, oh, what's the name like the faceless do you know the faceless no they're so technically proficient like yeah. their music is like uh i don't know it's just like exceedingly difficult to play it's yeah. really fast crazy complicated and uh yeah very very well written from a musical complexity like theoretical position yeah but uh like it doesn't do it for me right because i i can't just be like bob my head yeah you yeah. know and like bounce to a beat and sing a chorus yeah you've got to like break down the music in your head and understand the technicality to appreciate the music right yeah it's like being a i imagine like being a sommelier or is that how you pronounce that like a wine with wine yeah right like yeah like 99 of people will drink a box wine or like a really fine wine and it's just it's wine it's good it's fine yeah, yeah. you know and it takes like a very small subset of people who can actually appreciate the little nuances in this thing or that thing. And, you know, and they, they get something different out of that experience than most other people get. Yes. And I like certain, like prog rock is the same, right? Like you've got yeah, to yeah. understand, Oh, did you realize that they're like tool? It's like, Oh, this is like a weird time signature. Did you realize that? No, I didn't. It's like, once you catch that, it's a, you yeah. know, written in 13, 12 time or whatever, you're like, yeah. oh, that's cool. But somebody like needs to explain it to you for right. you to appreciate it. And the people that really love it are the people that don't need to explain it. They start listening and they're like, whoa, this isn't a crazy, let me back up. What is this? Yeah. That's 13, 12. Oh man, what are they doing? Did you hear that keychain? He just went to like a, a sub flat fourth diminished keychain. <laughs> yes. Keychains like, yeah. who are these maniacs? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> right. And, and for Tool, everyone else is just like, hey, this rocks pretty hard. This, this is a good rock. song. Yeah, yeah. 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 
Interesting. So, but so yeah, I that's it's totally totally right. I think Lincoln Park nails it there where it's it's like simple simple riffs, simple lyrics, easy to sing along to, easy to yeah. to remember and you can bounce to it. Nothing confusing, nothing you got to analyze. You just get out and raw emotion. I'm pissed at everybody cuz I'm 14. And all, like all the other kids are like, "Wow." The things he's saying is exactly how I'm feeling. Yeah, yeah. And he's saying it exactly how I would say it. Yeah. You know? Um, so if you look at their subsequent success, like none of their follow-up albums hit the same level of success as Hybrid Theory. Sure. And most of their albums, like their later albums, only hit platinum in 2017 after Chester committed suicide. Wow. Right? Interesting. Um, so they kept a similar style. And they continued new metal, which basically went out of style after sure. Limp Bizkit and Corn, and you know they faded from view. Yeah, but I'd like why weren't they able to achieve the success beyond their debut? That same survey I was talking about from the Global <laughs> Mail found that fifty percent of recently divorced couples described their divorce as amicable. So we go from people saying, "Yeah, seventy percent of people are saying my parents fought like crazy when they got divorced," to fifty percent of people saying, "Yeah, we figured it out." wasn't so bad yeah and so this idea of amicable amicable divorce and co-parenting uh and and conscious uncoupling that's been coming around like in the last 10 years or so right Mm. and so there's unique marriage and divorce trends among millennials they're going for amicable separation so they're not staying together until they absolutely despise each other sure and throwing stuff at the wall and fighting and custody battles and you know what I mean? Right. They're also getting married later and waiting till they're more stable. And they're having kids later waiting kind of till they're more stable. So it's like they, and divorce rates have been going down since their first, since hybrid theory came out. Sure. So, so kids are less now. I don't know their other, <clears throat> their other stuff as much. Like where, where are we? The here? big ones, like their big singles were their singles on the Transformer albums. Like okay. what I've done and stuff like that. What I've done. Yeah. I remember that one. And I'd say like bizarrely that band was actually per- like when I found out they're doing the lead single on Transformers, I was like, that makes sense. Cause they're like the last popular industrial band. And this is a movie about Ooh. machines. So this sure. actually makes sense. Right. But they had, they had a big old change too, which like, so many bands do. They're getting older. What year is this? 2008 was... Uh, uh, 2007. Midnight? Yeah. 06, 08. 2007 was when Transformers came out. Okay. So it's yeah. like f- five, six years later, seven years later. I mean, it's to midnight. Um, so they've been playing music for a while. They're getting older. Bennington is born in 76. So what is he? He's like 30... Yeah, he's getting into his 30s at this time. Yeah, like they're getting older. Yeah. And I, I remember, so I remember Hybrid Theory just rocking. And yeah. I, now I can't remember all the songs on there, but they had a lot of like heavy, really great songs like that. Yeah. And then I'm just looking here, Minutes to Midnight, some of these tracks. What I've done was pretty good. Bleed It Out, do you know that one? Yeah. Yeah. Man, that song rocks. That's hard. Um, okay, here's something about Linkin Park. Linkin Park is almost like a Nickelback. And this is what I mean by that. <laughs> I see on. the look on your face. Go, is no, that go it's like it. Linkin Park is one of those bands where like people will listen to them 
but nobody wants to admit to being a fan. Okay. Like even sure. we trepidatiously talked about like Blake, were you a fan of Lincoln Park? Well, I mean, I listened to a few songs, and I talked. I remember my wife was listening to songs from Minutes to Midnight, like when we started dating ten or eleven years ago. Okay. And and when I was getting ready to do this episode, I was like, "You were like a Lincoln Park fan." She's like, "No, I was not a Lincoln Park fan. <laughs> I had two of their songs on my iPod." I'm like, "But you listen to them like a lot." She's like, "No, I'm not a Lincoln Park fan." Let's be absolutely clear about that. Why? Because <laughs> they're like this weird band. Of, it's like all they sing about is 14-year-old anger issues. Sure. So like you don't want to be – it's like, no, I'm not an angry teenager, okay? Let's be clear about sure. this, right? Sure. There is – I could see that. Right? And, but I, and I think they – but I think they changed because, uh, like I say, Bleed It Out was super hard and heavy. Yeah. But then they had like Shadow of the Day was so chill and Leave Out All the Rest was like – like so many bands do, they they get old and their yeah. edge goes away. Yeah. And, you know, probably part of that, too, is all of that anger and angst and like all of the problems like Chester had growing up with like, you know, a, a horrible situation. Yeah. He's effing rich now. Yeah. That stuff's gone. I know. He's, he, he wakes he's up married when he to wants, a Playboy model. Right. Like, like he's living. <laughs> he's living the dream. Yeah. That's the thing that we all use as a baseline to live in the dream. He's married <laughs> yeah. to a, a naked model. <laughs> Uh, but like, you know, they're all loaded. They have no problems anymore. Yeah. Their problems are like, how much money do I invest in this so that I'm not like totally broke? Well, like to be fair, the three core founding members of the band, their problems never changed. That's true. They it's just got like, more how, money. Yeah. They were like, already fine. They yeah. had, they had like trust funds to fall back on anyways. Yeah, yeah. And now they have their own trust fund. Yeah. And so, but, but their lyricist like Chester, yeah. his, his issues are gone. And so now we go from these like super heavy, aggressive angry with everything songs we still have a couple of those um but the rest of them are getting like chill and that weird electronic like soundscapey kind of yeah it's kind of stuff they were doing that their original um a lot of their diehard fans of course will like them forever yeah but i think a lot of their that core demographic that was into them will stop listening so much because that edge is gone and the new kids that are still angry even if you know, most divorces are getting amicable now. There's still kids like in Chester's situation that are having problems, but like this isn't the band to solve that anymore for those guys. Right. And, a couple of their songs are, but the rest are not. And so one other thing I think, because even though their their edge goes away, like you said, Chester's not suffering anymore. Yeah. Um, but he still he ends up like sadly committing suicide, and I'm just wondering. Hmm. He, in my mind. To continue writing edgy lyrics, it's like he has to go back in time and pull out past trauma to get into that headspace. Even though it's not as raw anymore, he has to keep going back to it. Interesting. To pull that's what I would think. Like like nobody has said this. You know, nobody has analyzed this, but I would just imagine like I did hear people talking on the radio when Chris Cornell died, I think. Yeah. Because he is similar situation, became wildly successful, but still struggled with depression, anxiety, and substance abuse. And ends up killing himself, sadly, right? Um, yeah. And they were talking about how, like, like one of the girls on the radio, she said, I dated a, a singer in a band, and he broke up with me. And what he told me was he couldn't write anymore because he didn't have anything to be heartbroken over. He had, like, lost all his inspiration <clears throat> for sure. his music because his life was getting too good. And he's like, I just can't, like, I'm choosing my job and we have to break up so I have something to write about. Yeah weirdly right so he's got to keep going back into past trauma and i'm wondering like 
his music's helping people get over it, but he has to keep going back into past trauma. So it's like he's never getting over it. Sure. Because his band has become this edgy, angsty band. So where do I get inspiration for angst when I'm a millionaire? I have to go back to the worst part of my life and dig that up to remember something that makes me feel angsty so that I can produce something angsty. And it's got to be different too, looking at it from that new perspective. You know, when you're knee deep in it and you're just trying to get it, like, like the anxiety that you must feel sitting in that situation. You know, we've all been in, in some situation where you feel like your hands are tired. Like there's no way out. And what a, what a crappy feeling that is. Yeah. Um, and so when he's like deep in that or just getting away from it and it still is such a major influence on his life um, versus looking back and remembering it's not the, it's not going to be the same thing. Yeah. You know, so as much as you try to do that, it, it might be, I, I don't know. I'm sure it's got to have some psychological repercussions, but it's not going to be the same psychological repercussions looking back on it and trying to get in that same headspace from your like $8,000 couch and yeah, your, yeah. <laughs> your wife in the next room taking naked pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, there's like a $4,000 bottle of booze on the table beside you. And you know, like it's just, it's gotta be just so different. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. So I just say like, imagine you had to go back to like a traumatic breakup and dig that up to write lyrics. Like, would you ever sure. get over that girl? I don't know if you ever would. Cause it's like, I've got to keep going back to this thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's not like he was a trained songwriter. It was songwriting was this thing that he did to cope with pain. Right. Sure. So it's not like he can just conjure up lyrics. It's, it's got to draw from an emotional place. Yeah, I think it does. Good right. lyrics have to. Well, I'm saying, like Elton John, I don't know if Elton John always goes back into his memories to pull something out, but he's a great songwriter and can sell a bunch of records, right? Because mm. he's a professional songwriter. That's true. Linkin yeah. Park, he's not like, he's just draws from emotion and experience. And, you know, it's synchronized in the early 2000s with what people were feeling. People stopped feeling what he's feeling, but he's still singing about the same stuff. So they just kind of, they maintain some popularity, but not as much. And then he's got to go revisit past trauma to write more words. And then he never ends up getting over it. And just because it's like you think it's like you're married to a Playboy model. You got a bunch of kids. You got a bunch of money. You're world famous. Like what's there to be sad about? Well, maybe you're yeah. sad because you keep thinking about like how you're abused when you were six so that you could write more lyrics about being angry. And that's got to be rough, too, where it's like you're uh, this is well on this, but like you, you're a young kid and like that your life sucks. And so, you know, it's so consuming and you just want to write music because it's therapeutic Yeah, and you do it and then people like it. And then all of a sudden you're rich and like you go write another record and you're like, oh, my problems aren't really there. This like, I don't have anything to write about anymore. Yeah. So I guess I'll go back, but it's like not, it's gotta be hard when you're like, I thought I was over that. Yeah. And then you know, you're like just I've back. got past this crappy part of my life and I'm living the dream. I'm married to a Playboy mom. Like, <laughs> and then you got to be like, well, I guess screw this for a minute because I want to sell more records. Yeah. So I better go back. And not even yeah. that, it's like, I've got a band relying on me. Yes. I've yeah. got like four other families who are relying on me writing good lyrics to feed their, you know, to, to yeah. eat. 
Yeah. I mean, they could probably all retire, but like still, like, they're so all they can eat them. caviar, right? So they like, can eat, keep eating the caviar that their yeah. parents didn't buy anymore. That they <laughs> yeah. bought themselves. They bought themselves. So, like, there's a lot of pressure there, and like, okay, I guess I gotta. The only thing I know is going back, back to where that was. I wonder if that's where. Okay, so I'm just reading their Shadow of the Day lyrics. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I, looking 2020, you know, Chester's suicide. It, it seems very much like it, that could be what he's singing about here. I don't, I close both locks below the window. I close both blinds and turn away. Sometimes solutions aren't so simple. Sometimes goodbye is the only way. And then the sun will set for you and the shadow of the day will embrace the world in gray and the sun will set for you and cards and flowers on your window. Your friends all plead for you to stay. Sometimes beginnings aren't so simple. Sometimes goodbye is the only way. I don't know if that's what that song's about, but it definitely, you know, in it hindsight points to it certainly does and i don't know maybe that's maybe that song is maybe that kind of stuff having to like put your good life on pause and feeling obligated to go back revisit past trauma um just to you know keep living and see your buddies out of all these obligations could certainly contribute to this kind of stuff and then to him like goodbye is the only way like we'll never know it maybe it's it's rude of us to speculate but i just say sure those are my uh my thoughts on their their subsequent success and kind of yeah. the headspace he might have been in over time and how trying that would just be on a person. Mm-hmm. That's kind of um, so. Anyway, I'd just say in conclusion on this album. Unless, do you have any other final thoughts? No, I don't think so. Okay, like this album filled a place and it gave a voice to millions of kids who are struggling in the early two thousands. And so, whether you like the music or not you have to appreciate where this song fits in like human history almost mm. right this yeah. album is a solid reflection of the year 2001 and and what kids and teenagers and people in their early 20s were feeling and going through right this is a record of humanity um so like i my thoughts on this in preparing this episode i was like a closet i like two linkin park songs but i'm not a linkin park fan that was where mm. i started out before doing this episode and now i can say okay this album's probably one of the most significant albums the last 20 years interesting right because we talk about millennials went through a tough time in the 90s with their parents getting divorced and they got through it and i'd say this record is probably they got through it and we can see from the change in marriage and divorce rates that they learned a lesson from it and i'd say this album is something that helped them learn that lesson and get over it cool amen in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I almost said the same thing. 